0: The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey,
1: it's Tony Masia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action. You can find out more at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn, and his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Hello,
2: I am Steve Dunn. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. I'm joined today by Crystal Emrick, founder and executive director of Brave Step, an organization that empowers individuals who have been impacted by sexual abuse. Welcome, Crystal.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Steve.
2: What does it mean to be the founder of an organization. So let, let me get at what I mean. There are a lot of ways if you have a particular interest in supporting people who have been impacted by sexual abuse, you could volunteer somewhere or you could donate money strategically, but you chose instead to become a founder. Why that?
0: Sometimes I ask myself that same question, Steve. I would say I'm a dreamer, In the sense that in June of 2011, a calling on my heart to do something more about sexual trauma, sexual violence, at that time, I had no idea what that calling really meant. So I spent three years, three very long years, trying to learn what was being done in the space of sexual trauma, who was doing it locally good, who was doing it nationally good, and then what could we learn from that? To potentially step into a gap that I was thinking I saw, so it was a three-year walk in the desert. It, it it felt so challenging to understand that space and what needed to be done.
2: What did you do in those three years? How were you doing it day to day?
0: I well, I had a you know a normal full time job like most of us, and I spent a lot of my extra time researching. I was a I'm a geek. I love to read. I love to learn, and so I I did. I spent a lot of time researching literature from experts on sexual trauma, researching organizations, I started calling random people. (laughs) And I'm sure some of them are listening, going, oh, it was one of those random conversations. And I started having conversations with people that were close to me, Steve, that I ended up finding out they were survivors as well. And I was blown away by the magnitude of that. And so one baby step in front of the next brought me to this point, ultimately.
2: It sounds like through the course of the research that you do, did over those three years, you identified what you described as a gap, uh, a void in the offerings that existed that you decided to try to fill by founding Brave Step. What was that gap and how are you trying to fill it?
0: Well, there was a couple of gaps. The, The first one that comes to mind was specific to serving adult survivors. So, and we'll probably get into this, but I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and then multiple sexual assaults in college. What I found both personally and then through the research was that there wasn't a lot of dedicated work being done to survivors who didn't come forward immediately after the aftermath. So the survivors who had lived with their trauma, who had perhaps built some very unhealthy coping mechanisms around their trauma, but I thought that there was a really big need to step in that gap and walk alongside a survivor, show them what care options existed, give them choice, give them power. The second gap that we have just recently really in the past two years began to serve, but supporting loved ones and allies of a survivor. There, there was nothing, there is nothing in that space that teaches a loved one how to support a survivor. And it's very tricky. It's tricky for experts, much less for, you know, a layman who wants to, to stand strong and know the language and the skills to be able to walk alongside their survivor.
2: Well, you addressed the two things that I wanted to ask you about specifically, and and that's no surprise. It's clear Brave Step has an excellent website. It's available. What what is the URL? Uh,
0: Bravestep.org.
2: Bravestep.org. For those who are more interested, there's plenty of information there. And it's clear that your programs are directed, first of all, toward adults. And I gather from what you're saying that there are more resources available for younger survivors of sexual abuse?
0: Yes. There's child, child advocacy centers located really out throughout the United States. But in Charlotte, we have Pat's Place. They do an amazing job working with children survivors and providing some levels of support for the parents who are trying to support their children so we didn't need to duplicate that. There was no need to do it. And then Safe Alliance also does an amazing job, and they are absolutely the experts on crisis. So immediately after sexual trauma, they are they're the go-to resource. We come after that. We're the ones that are going to walk the longer distance and create a community around that survivor.
2: I'm interested in what you said about individuals who have experienced sexual abuse, but maybe it was in the distant past. and you and I are of a certain age as, as time goes by, I think society continues to evolve and notions about sexual behavior continue to change. And folks from different generations just had different norms and expectations. And I imagine that there are folks who had experiences in their younger days that they may not have even recognized as there's, some things are clearly recognizable, right, as problematic, but then other things it's like it's it's hard to know. Like what what is the line between just sort of normal behavior and I wonder how you help folks work through that in their own lives as they're being affected later in life.
0: Yeah, I would say unofficially 75% of our survivors are survivors who had something happen when they were a child. Majority of them never came forward until this this later in life phase. And some of that is to your point Steve that that the language and the understanding around what sexual violence entails has be, has increased thankfully right there's there's more information there's more language there's more definition around it and I think that that has made a lot of people who didn't realize they were a survivor realize oh that's that is what happened to me we did a, a loved ones group that I wasn't participating in but I heard about one of the the men who participated when they were going through kind of laying the groundwork for what sexual violence is at the end of the session, he's like, Oh my gosh, I, I was sexually violated and I had never, he had never had the language help understand and define that. And just that awareness of what it is changes someone's perception and understanding and certainly their need for help.
2: Do you think children are more forthcoming today
0: I do I think the awareness factor is huge. There's still, you know, a trillion times more awareness we need to be doing with parents to educate their children and I know school systems are doing a great job in trying to to step into that space as well. I think that our younger generation, the college age, they are going to be they're going to be the real game changers on this issue because they are so willing to to lean into this uncomfortable conversation. People don't like talking about sexual trauma. They usually run away from me when they see me coming. But I think that our college students are so much more open to talking about it, to getting the help, and to becoming advocates. And so I have I hope for the next generation.
2: How do you do it? You've got a number of programs. A lot of it is, I would say, might be generally described as therapy. There's, there's group therapy and there's, there's other opportunities. How does Brave Step do it?
0: So we do it in three ways. Our first one is adult survivor care, as we've we've been talking about. And we do. We have counseling. We have peer support groups. We also, we have, I always say they're warm and fuzzy, but we teach skill development. So like when I was in therapy, I remember my therapist telling me to use your boundaries, set, you know, utilize those coping skills. I had no idea what that B word meant and nor did I like it. So we are trying to teach them some of the skills to help manage their trauma and also we do a lot of, of how do you find your voice or articulate your story through spoken word, journaling, art, music. The big thing with our survivor program is that it's choice. Like We don't give them, here is your your path you have to take to well-being. You choose your path. and And it may change over time. It will change over time. And you can start one spot, come back and do another, or participate in all five. So it's very flexible. And then our loved ones program, as I mentioned, is We've been doing that about a year and a half, and it's a six-session educational program that brings together both community, knowledge, skills, and the the opportunity to really sit with others who have experienced similar trauma to their their loved ones.
2: Do you think there's more survivors out there in our world than most people are aware?
0: hundred percent. So you probably already know the statistics. They say one in four women, one in six men are sexually abused by the age of 18. However, those numbers are based on reported and 60% of survivors never report. So if you did the math, let's just double that. So two out of four or one out of two women, one out of three men. the biggest point I think I want to get across now is not only are, you know, 50% or more of our population survivors, but every single one of us is impacted because we love someone. We care about someone who's been impacted and that impact for a survivor does not end with that individual. It gushes everywhere, whether that's in the workplace, in the family life, with friends. I mean the the impact of sexual trauma, it doesn't end with that one individual.
2: It seems like there's there's a lot going on there. Obviously this is a huge subject and <laughs> yes. we're not gonna be able to cover all of it in this conversation, but it's it seems like there's the in terms of the you know our collective failure to appreciate the magnitude of this issue is due in part to the fact that a lot of it just goes unreported, and that in itself is partially due to the fact that folks are there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of reluctance to to come forward. But then you have the separate problem, which is the folks who have been carrying this heavy burden around throughout their lives, but have never been quite able to put a name on it or to understand why. And I wonder how those people find brave stuff. How do they come to you?
0: Well, I, a lot of people find us, you know, just that Googling on the internet, of course, thank goodness, that's the one good thing about the internet. And then we've been getting a lot of referrals from therapists in Charlotte who maybe don't specialize in sexual trauma. And then uh, even yesterday, I had this amazing woman call seeking help for her friend who is a mother of a child. And so I think that it's, it's beginning to gain, some, we're beginning to gain some awareness in the community as a resource and willing to kind of step into that uncomfortable space as you're, as you're talking about.
2: Your program for loved ones, these are folks who are affected by sexual abuse through a person who they love. And I imagine that presents some unique challenges, particularly if you have somebody who's a spouse or a close r- romantic partner. You're, you're, you're dealing with a person who may be sort of processing their trauma for the first time in a certain way, it's affecting your relationship. And at the same time, your relationship existed before this person began their journey. And there's certain things about the relationship that are deeply entangled sort of with that trauma. I don't even know how to ask a question about that. Like, How in the world do you deal with that?
0: Yeah. Well, intimacy and sexual trauma go hand in hand. And So when we were doing the research and development of the loved ones program, three audiences really surfaced, two of which it's like, oh, no brainer, right? It's the family and allies of a young survivor. So parents supporting a child, family and friends supporting an adult survivor, and then intimate partners as you're talking about. So it's it's interesting when my husband and I were first married, there was several encounters that we had that like just playful encounters that I didn't know that I would be triggered by. And, and you know, transparency, I mean, I would lose it. I mean, have a complete panic attack on my poor husband who had no idea it was coming. And and those are the situations that are so common, both being triggered, you know, in intimate relationships, but also a power struggle in intimate relationships. And for a lot of survivors, they don't know how to name what's happening to them. And, you know, as, as being in a relationship with anyone, if you can't explain and name the things you're struggling with, that creates... That creates separation. I wish I had data on how many divorces could be attributed to sexual trauma, but I have heard countless stories of why, of, of relationships of sur- survivors we've served that their marriage is dissolved. And a lot of it they attribute to the lack of understanding, the lack of empathy, the lack of just framework around how to build a relationship with the survivor, because it is, it's we are very, we, we are very complex individuals, <laughs>
2: When was me too? When did it first come about? A few years ago. Five years it, ago. I okay, think. five years ago it's, or so. I I vividly recall being astonished at that time, at how many women in my own life were raising their hands and saying, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." By the way, yeah. me too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, I I was blown away, and then I went through a whole process of being sort of sheepish and embarrassed about the fact that I was so blown away by that. You know, and and I. And I I, I hope and I console myself with the assumption that sort of we were that all men or m- many men were sort of going through a similar sort of experience, but it was stunning how widespread the experience. And now, Me Too encompasses a whole bunch of stuff, some of the stuff that we're talking about today, but also, you know, other sort of categories of yeah. things. But I think it really just speaks to how widespread this is. And it is there, do you, Go through life as a hopeful person; that the the trajectory is overall good.
0: You know, it's one of my 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 very few gifts is that I am so hopeful in, in all things in life, but especially in this. And and when I see some of our college students coming up with so much like power and and willingness to stay in in this space, it gives me even more hope. It's interesting though when Me Too came about. I think one of the things it it pulled the mask off of some people's belief that sexual trauma only happened to certain people, right? Whether whatever category you might want to apply that to. But, you know, I've met leaders of this community, I mean, high officials of this community, you know, organizational leaders who are, you know, walking survivors who have either masked really well or they have managed, you know, to to take care of themselves and get the care that they deserve. But, you know, sexual violence happens to everybody, from the poorest to the richest, from christians to jewish people to muslims to every walk of life like this is one area that there's no discrimination against um i do hope though that when i am long gone from this earth that this issue is better i would love to be put out of a job but i can't imagine that will happen since it's been going on since the beginning of time but one of my dear friends when he, when i was building my business plan for a brave step i met with her and i said you know, here's my business plan. And I gave her my pitch and I was so excited. And she said, Crystal, would you be happy if you help one person? And I sort of did the, you know, how your dog turns his head and you're like, huh? (laughs) And I thought about that answer. And I said, no, I wouldn't. And part of that's because what you're talking about, this is so widespread. And I know the need is immeasurably great in our city and beyond that I wouldn't have been happy to help just one, even though I'm grateful for everyone Every one person we help, I still wasn't going to be happy with just one.
2: You've been very open about the fact that your personal experience of sexual abuse informs the work that you do. It is also part of the mission of Brave Step to empower survivors to help other survivors. What is the importance of that?
0: I think that is unbelievably important. And and when we say that, too, I always like to kind of clarify It's macro and micro, right? It could be that a survivor finally finds the voice to be able to have a conversation with her husband. So I'll give you an example. When I was early in the stages of starting Brave Step, this amazing businesswoman, I mean, this woman was kick butt. I just admired her. I mean, she was so tenacious. I sent her my business plan again, and she called me and she said, what are you doing? You are crazy. This is never going to work. I mean, the exact opposite response I thought I would get from her And then she calls me a couple weeks after that. And she said, she apologized. And she said, I wanted to tell you. And she went ahead and told me her story, which I was blown away by. But the power of that conversation ultimately became, she ended up finding the courage to tell her husband, who she had never told, that she was a survivor. And when we can start to have those conversations in very micro ways with our family, with our children, things will start to change. So it's we're not in this for the short term game. We're we're in this for the long time to to make a change over years and decades.
2: We've already identified your website, bravestep.org. Are there other ways for our listeners to get in touch with you and support the important work that you do?
0: Absolutely. One of the, the programs I completely missed early on, we we have we call it the change maker program. And it's for everybody in the community, Steve. It's for anyone that wants to lean in and learn. And so on our website we have trauma informed resources articles on a variety of subjects but then we also do quarterly trainings that are virtual that allow someone to learn a little bit more an example is consent and body safety how do i teach that to my children we did and have it on our YouTube page now but a training that teaches parents and caregivers how to step into that space to begin to prevent sexual violence so that's one is you know learn about our change maker program obviously we are Always in need of passionate advocates and allies to help us in volunteer, in ways to volunteer, but also in ways to go deeper into our communities. So having these very hard, brave conversations with our church groups, with our civic groups, with our affinity groups at corporates, you know, corporate entities here in Charlotte. We want to step into that space, but we sometimes just need someone to open the door for us. Otherwise, we'll try to kick it in. And it's just way easier if someone opens the door for us. <laughs> you know, one of
2: the things I've noticed as a parent is that they're teaching kids now that not not to touch other kids if they don't want to be touched. And it, it seems like a super basic thing, but it really struck me. It was, and, and I'm trying to, and now I'm testing my memory to figure out my kids are older now, but it's. I recall it was something like one kid wanted to give another kid a hug or something. And the teacher stepped in and said, no, if if, if that child doesn't want to hug, then you don't hug that child. You see, it seems like it's a super basic thing. But just the idea that it's your choice whether to be touched at all under, you know, under any circumstance, that that's your decision, seems like something that we can teach children today that's going to make a positive impact in this regard. And I imagine there's a bunch of other things like that.
0: Well, I mean, that alone is powerful. So I have a six-year-old and he's, we very openly talk about, you know, naming our body parts, but giving him the power of who to hug and when to hug. So I grew up in the South where, you know, we hugged everyone and you smiled even when you were uncomfortable. You know, we had this whole persona that you were, at least I was taught growing up. And so I believe if we can tell kids that you have the ability to say, no, I don't want to hug uncle whomever no, I don't want to sit on his lap, then we're giving them the power to speak up and, and also giving them the, the awareness that they can come to you if something does happen. So I think giving them the, the power of choice and knowledge of when and how to use that power, but also opening up that line of communication that if something does happen, they can come to you as the parent. And I don't feel like we had that in prior generations.
2: You are doing this work in and around Charlotte. You yourself live in Concord, right? Yes,
0: correct. Uh, where, where,
2: does Brave Step have a physical location?
0: We don't. We do not have brick and mortar. And part of that was the the planning of, of how we built it. We wanted as many dollars and nickels and pennies to go straight into programming. So the, the way our program works is that we have 17 established relationships with trauma therapists here in Charlotte. So if counseling is the avenue, then you would go to that therapist's office to complete the counseling. All of our other programs, we have certain locations throughout the city that we utilize for peer support groups and other activities.
2: I, I would just say good call. As I mean, a whole other subject, a whole other conversation to be had about nonprofit at- management administration in general, but I totally understand that like once you have a space, you're kinda in the real estate business and you'd really rather be in the serving survivors of sexual abuse business. Exactly. So uh, it's not in, in in these do you do are you incorporating like Zoom type remote technology? Uh, like a-
0: yeah. I mean, so of course like everybody when COVID hit, we we had to make that transition. And I remember I was like, "There's no way I'm going to sit on a computer screen and let people see me." But obviously, we do it now without second a second thought. But all of our programming's programming has either a virtual or in person component, just to give people choice. So yeah, we we do a lot of programs through Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Did you do
2: any of that before, Kevin? No. Yeah, it's it it has transformed whole industries in ways that we couldn't have predicted. I I tell people all the time. Before March 2020, I had never done a video conference mediation, (laughs) nor had I ever heard of that, nor if you had asked me, would I have told you that I ever would do something like that? And it went from 0% to 100% literally overnight. And it's a whole different world, but it seems like it's incredibly empowering to your work in the sense that it can be done at times and places that are convenient for people.
0: Yeah. I mean, so some of our programs with, with counseling, giving survivors a choice to do it in the comforts of their home is so empowering. And we have probably 50-50, you know, 50% want to do in-person, 50% virtual now. But giving the virtual option has expanded who we can serve and from where. So our change maker program, we've served, I think, participants from eight different states, thanks to COVID opening our eyes to the possibility of using virtual technology.
2: You said you grew up in the South. Did you grow up around Charlotte?
0: No, I grew up between in a little bitty farm town between Greenville and Kinston, eastern North Carolina. We had one stoplight and you know, my, my family was a farming family. So
2: Okay, what was the town?
0: It's called Grifton, G R I F T O N.
2: Uh, I'm always interested in <laughs> new North Carolina places. So Grifton, North Carolina, near Kinston. Yes. How did you find your way to Charlotte and when?
0: Oh, so I moved after I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in 2001. Moved here the following year, 2002, to receive an internship at Charlotte Motor Speedway, of all places. I was fascinated by the business of NASCAR, and so that that brought me here. And I spent about seven, eight years doing NASCAR, and then started a small business doing public relations. And you know, in the midst of that, Brave Step was born and. Closed that business down a couple of years ago and just started fo- focusing in on on this. But this is home. I mean, I I can't imagine living anywhere else right now.
2: How has what's your observation of Charlotte I and mean, wh- whether it regards to your work or not? Or we could talk about Concord actually. If you have Concord pride, <laughs> you know, we could talk about racing or you know what I, I think certainly Charlotte and the surrounding areas is within the the scope of the Charlotte Ledger. I- I'm just curious as someone who came here in 2000 two or so, a little over 20 years ago. What you've observed about this town, what do you think is essential about this town?
0: Well, I think the growth, of course, that's a no-brainer. It's amazing just in 20 years how everything in Concord and in Charlotte has exploded. You know, The interesting thing, I feel very grateful that, that we are here in such a big town in the sense that, at least with the work that we do, there is a substantial amount of awareness around sexual violence. And In the sense that that some of the educated philanthropists are on board with supporting what we do because they see the need. I think in more rural towns, like, for example, the one I grew up in, this is definitely not a subject matter you would would really, you know, have conversations about. And so I love the fact that we're much more open in in Charlotte than in other areas. I feel like, at least in, in my journey in this space, I've been so lucky to meet some of the most incredible people who believe in us and are devoted to us. And I don't I don't know if I would have found that elsewhere. I think it's Charlotte's very unique in, in it, the way it wraps its arms around niche organizations like ours.
2: Well, you came from Grifton. Mm-hmm. You went to Chapel Hill. You found your way to Charlotte a little over 20 years ago. And here you are today, having turned a very personal and traumatic experience into your life's work. And now the mother of a young child. And life, as you certainly have noticed, keeps going on. And I wonder what you think now at this juncture, having been recognized as someone who is very accomplished but who also is over 40 by the Charlotte Ledger's 40 over 40, what do you think about this experience of life and and how do you feel about it and where are you headed?
0: Oh, that one's a big question, Steve. I I don't know. I mean, I I still don't think I'm grown up. You know how the older we get, you feel like one day you're going to hit a point where you feel wise and older. And I'm still trying to figure out when that's going to hit, but the gray hairs and the wrinkles definitely tell me I'm older. You know, I think life, to your point, it just, it keeps evolving. And at least personally for me, there's a journey that will forever go on as a survivor of trying to learn myself better try to manage myself, but also try to show up and be the best possible person that I can be, both for my son, who I would, you know, die for in a heartbeat, but also for those that we're supporting. I don't have all the answers. I certainly don't know everything there is to know about trauma, but I can I can try to live it out and be honest and transparent with, with what I've gone through and hope that it helps one or more people that desperately need, you know, need the community.
2: Well, it's important work that you're doing. Thank you, Crystal. I appreciate your speaking with me for the Charlotte Ledger podcast.
0: Thank you for having me and thank you for the honor.
1: That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com
0: queencitypodcastnetwork.com